Well, this is my last time with you, and I wanted to thank you for being such a helpful audience and uh, drawing out of me the things that I love to talk about. And I thank Bruce for the invitation to come, and uh, thank Fred down here for hauling me around every day. It's been so good to get to know him and others of you, too. So these have been good days for me, and I'll tell my wife that we'll have to come back together sometime to see the sights, because... When I haven't been here, I've just been holed up in my room working, so I haven't seen your great island like I should have, probably. But thank you so much. Let's pray together. Father, as we undertake now to talk about the strategies for getting and maintaining a heart of joy in you, I pray that you would not only give light to our hearts for understanding these strategies, but that you would perform the miracle of joy awakening in our hearts. I pray for any pastors who are languishing in the work and need renewal and revival, that this would be a a decisive morning of encouragement for them and that everything would come to a resounding climax as though we had been putting kindling on the smoldering embers up until now and then the breath of the spirit would come and it would inflame into a great bright and warm fire of affection to you and to the people they serve and for the lay folks lord who are here Would you set their hearts to singing, I pray, and enable them to take up their tasks at home and at work in a way that would glorify you because they find so much joy and satisfaction in you. So, Lord, do a wonder now, I pray, in this hour as we meditate on the strategies of life and hope and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So my uh, desire is to ask the question, how, this morning? Because in the the messages up until now, um, I've said God has great delight in God. God has great passion for God. And that's the ground of our delight in God and our passion for God and that we should pursue it with all of our might, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And therefore, we should pursue our joy with all our might for his glory and our joy. And I said last night that we should pursue love because love in its essence is a delighting in other people's delight in God. So our delight in God expands and grows and increases as it embraces others and draws them into it so that as others begin to enjoy God, know God, delight in God, rest in God, our hearts, like a a low-pressure zone, you know how how weather works, there's a a low-pressure zone and then a high-pressure zone, and, and when they meet, wind is created, and the wind is drawn out and it fills the, the low-pressure zone with the high-pressure zone, and that's what I call love. So that grace comes down, the joy builds up, and you meet a low-pressure zone of need, and the pressure bulges out to draw the other in, and as they are filled with that same grace, your delight in God expands through their delight in God. And there's this great Christian hedonist growth of joy as love expands to more and more people. Now the question is, how do you become this kind of person and stay this way? It really boils down, doesn't it, to that, because probably most of you here this morning, whether you embrace all the categories I've tried to unfold for you, would say, yeah, the Christian life should look something like that. And that's about a thousand miles from where I am. And so what's the strategy for 
becoming like that and staying like that. Because we're not supposed to just do this hit and miss. We're supposed to be this way all the time. So I have 12 strategies and uh, 45 minutes. So how does that work out? 12 divided into 45 is is uh, four minutes each. Well, that's out of the question. I mean, I'm going to spend probably 10 minutes on each of the first three. So I don't know how far we'll get, but I'll just take you as far as I can get in these 45 minutes. And if I, if you pray for me while I'm talking, then probably the Holy Spirit will make sure that I get as far as you need. And that's as far as I need to go. So you be praying that I not get uh, waylaid here on points that shouldn't be expanded further than they should. But it's very hard not to expand a sermon on each of these. Number one. And I, I, I do have these in some order, though it's hard to choose the order exactly. But number one, realize that there is a fight to be fought and a work to be done for the rest of your life in order to maintain joy. Joy is a fight. Joy is a fight and a work to be pursued. Now, once you have it, it doesn't feel like a fight and a work. It's release, it's rest, it's joy. But given our Fallen human nature, we are prone to delight in everything but God and therefore must make war on those alternative idols. Now, let me give you a couple of texts where I get this. Second Corinthians 1.24, Paul said, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. Pastors, if you ever needed a charter for your life, wouldn't that be it? Shouldn't we all stand up in front of our congregations and say, not that I lord it over your faith. I am a worker with you for your joy. That's the mandate for every pastor. But notice the word worker. I must work for my joy. I must work for your joy. Joy is not natural. That is, joy in God is not natural to fallen human beings. Here's another text. Philippians 1.25. I know that I will remain and continue with you all, Paul says, when he's wrestling with whether he'll die and go to be with Christ or whether he'll stay. He said, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your advancement and joy of faith. So as he contemplates, Lord, shall I go home, which is gain to me, or shall I stay, which is a benefit to the people, he concludes, I will probably stay. And the essence of the reason for his staying is the advancement and joy of your faith. That's the definition of the apostolic ministry in Philippians 1.25. It's the definition of the apostolic ministry in 2 Corinthians 1.24. I am a worker with you for your joy. I will stay behind on earth for the advancement and joy of your faith. Pastors, the joy of our people is our great business in life. And the joy of our own souls is our first business in life. George Mueller said he got up every morning. People would ask him in the middle of the day, how do you maintain a heart when you have so many burdens with the orphanages and with the churches and with fundraising and everything? And he said, I rolled 60 things onto the Lord this morning. He said, I will not dare to come out and meet my family or people until I have gotten my heart happy in God. You're of no use at the breakfast table until you've met God. Well, I'm not anyway. 
<laughs> I must meet God. I must become a Christian in the morning. I am. I wake up an unbeliever. Almost. Carnal, fearful, anxious, guilty. I'm wired this way. I got to get saved every morning. That is, I have to meet God, I have to see God, I have to know God, I have to taste God afresh so that my heart becomes alive to God. Something happens to me during the night, I don't know what. And then I can go to the breakfast table and minister to my family. Don't put the newspaper before God. Don't put anything before God. So it's a fight. Now, I know... I've gotten into, my, into trouble at my own church with this emphasis, and so um, let me back off here and ask this question. Oh, my, you're going to leave us with a burden like that. Fight, 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 burden, work, 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 work. I thought you were a Christian hedonist, and now you're going to, the last word you're going to dump on us is fight, work. What about... Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, and my burden is, doesn't sound like work, does it? But I always have to put over against that Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Many go in thereby. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life, and few there be that find it. Now, I said to you yesterday, theologians are born by people who see those two verses and get uncomfortable. Well, which is it, Jesus? Is your yoke easy and light and restful, or is the way hard and narrow? Which is it? This is Jesus talking in both texts, same gospel. And the answer is something like this. It's hard for fallen people to rest in God. It is a fight to relax in God. In other words, what's hard is faith. What's hard is rest. What's hard is ease in God. I was sitting at my little chair, looking out over the bay this morning, meditating on these things. And I saw a blackbird. I don't know what kind of bird it is, but it's a blackbird. It's black. And it, it came, it, it went up like this, and it came down and landed. And I thought of, Matthew 6, consider the birds of the air. They neither toil nor spin, yet your father feeds them. I was looking at this bird, kind of poking his beak around in the stones out there, and I thought to myself, I wonder who taught that bird not to eat stones, but to eat shells. How does that bird know what's poison and what's not poison? How does that bird know when to eat and when not to? How, how does that bird know how to fly? How, how does this bird figure things out? And the text says, your father feeds it. Don't be anxious. Well, try telling to uh, the... It's hard not to be anxious. I mean, if you don't have the funds to pay the rent... And somebody says to you, fear not, 
Be like the birds. Is that easy? It's not easy. And yet the, the fight is to relax. So these are not competing texts. Yes, the way is hard. Yes, it's narrow. But the fight is not to prove yourself sufficient or to prove yourself worthy or to create any great performances for God to be impressed by. The fight is rest in me, trust me, relax in me, delight in me. I'll take care of you. Rejoice in me. That's what's hard. And that's the fight. And I call you to fight it and realize it's a fight every day so that if you find some success in it tonight, going home, and then two weeks from now, you seem to be back where you were, consider it normal and fight again. That's number one. It's a fight. Number two, learn the secret of fighting like a justified sinner with what I call gutsy guilt. Fight the fight as a justified sinner with gutsy guilt. If you don't learn to fight the fight of faith with gutsy guilt as a justified sinner, I don't think you'll win the battle. Because you are a sinner, you will stay a sinner till the day you die. And if you don't learn how to fight as a justified, accepted, loved sinner, then you will be defeated over and over again. Where in the world do I get this idea of a gutsy guilt? Let me read for you Micah 7, 8, and 9. I think there's a good translation of it in the NASB and the RSV. I think the NIV goes a little bit haywire. Um, so listen, this, this is the RSV. It's almost identical in the New American Standard. Do not rejoice over me. This is Micah 7, 8, and 9. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Now picture yourself as having stumbled this afternoon, say. You stumble into some sin or you stumble into some depressed frame that you cannot explain at all. You're just plain gloomy and you look around and say, where did that come from? Blank, no feelings, just hardly want to do anything. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. That's gutsy guilt. This man has sinned. He has sinned and there's darkness upon him. A cloud has come over his life. The Lord is indignant with him. And he's a believer. And he's gutsy. Because he's justified. How does he talk? I'm going to read it again. Just listen. This is amazing. Can you live this way? There's so many people that when they sin... And they believe God is frowning upon them with some disciplinary action, some bad feeling or awful circumstance. They simply cave in, get mad at God or say he doesn't care about them or throw away their faith. They just cave in because they've never gotten the fiber of theology that is justification by faith alone Apart from works of the law, they've never got it in there and become gutsy Christians. So listen now. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. So you got the enemy just kind of poking at him and assaulting him and saying all kinds of mean things. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. 
I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Romans 3.28 I reckon that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You must learn to fight as a justified sinner. The only sin that you can triumph over is a forgiven sin. How does Wesley's hymn go? He breaks the power of what kind of sin? And that's the only kind he breaks the power of. The only sin that you can get victory over in practice is a forgiven sin. If you try to war against your sin so that it will be forgiven, you will fail totally and become a legalist hellbound. That's the meaning of justification by faith apart from works of the law. There is a fight to be fought, but you fight it as victor through Christ who has paid and canceled the sin. You have become attached to him through faith. That's number two. Fight as a justified sinner with gutsy guilt. Number three. Let your fight be mainly a fight to see God. Mainly. Don't say only, but mainly. Let your fight be mainly a fight to see God. The main battle in the Christian life is the battle to see. The main battle is the battle to see God. Now, why do I say that? Because Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is a spiritual tasting. There's a spiritual seeing with the eyes of the heart, not the eyes of the head. You remember the prayer in Ephesians 1, 18. I pray, O God, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so that they might see the hope to which they have been called. The reason we are as glum and as murmuring and as unhappy as we are is because our heart's eyes do not see our hope like they ought to. They are blind. They are blank. And the desperate cry of our heart should be, Oh God, let me see you. Let me see the cross. Let me see the resurrection. Let me see the ascension. Let me see the intercession. Let me see the mighty power. Let me see the sovereignty. Let me see the second coming. Let me see the Holy Spirit. Let me see the gifts. Let me see the work and the glory and the beauty and the wonder that you are. Because according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding is becoming. We all, with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord and thereby are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How do you be changed from one degree of glory to the next? See him. See him. First John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because what? We'll see him 
as he is. You see the connection? There's an eschatological consummation of this connection, and there's a present experience of this connection. The eschatological consummation is when we see him as he is, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be like him. There's a connection between a perfect seeing and a perfect being. Now, in this life, it's not perfect. It's not complete. It's from one degree of glory to the next as you behold the glory of the Lord. So if you want tomorrow to be one degree closer to glory in your character, in your joy, in your holiness, plead with God that he would grant you to see another degree of his glory. Seeing is being. Beholding is becoming. This is the biblical dynamic. The main battle in your life is to see God. Because either you'll be changed by it or killed by it. To see Him. Fourth. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. This is simple. (laughs) I'm not saying anything you don't already know. And it's just good to hear it again. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Our goal is joy. Joy that overflows in worship and love. Psalm 23.3 says, The Lord restores my soul. How does he do it? Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. There's no doubt about where it comes from. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Every morning my soul must be restored. Every morning my soul must be restored to joy. It is a fight. So what is the sword of the Spirit? Tell me what the sword of the Spirit is. It's the Word of God. Ephesians 6.17. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If you're going to fight the fight of faith to the end, I have kept the faith, I have fought the fight, I have finished my course, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. If you're going to be like Paul and fight the fight of faith, the good fight, fight the good fight of faith to the end, you're going to fight mainly with the Word of God. And so you get up in the morning and you meditate on the law of the Lord. Listen, Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You want joy? I have people come into my office, make appointments with me, and they say, I don't know, I've lost all the joy. I have a series of questions that I ask them. I'll mention one of them here and some of them later. Tell me about your Bible reading habits recently. Oh, it just it just kind of slipped. I say, okay, we don't need to talk long here. This is you take a week now and read your Bible an hour a day, and then we'll see how you do it next week. I usually say a few more things than that, but I'm not real patient with people who have God offer them an instrument of joy, lay it aside, and then complain to God that they're not happy. I do not have much patience with people like that. God says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. your words were found and I ate them and they were the joy to me and became the delight of my heart because I called on your name. The words of God are the joy of the prophet. John fifteen eleven. I have spoken these things to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I have spoken, I have spoken, I have spoken that your joy may be full. If you turn away from me to the television, don't complain to me that you don't have joy. If in the, if in the car you have an hour to work or half an hour to work, If you turn on junk talk radio, just crap talk radio, instead of putting in Bible tapes, don't come home and blame God that you were crabby at work. 
This is crabby radio. We are being taught to be crabby, feisty, ugly, mean-spirited, fleshly, carnal, sexy, in your face by the radio. And then we get to work and wonder why we are that way. Put 1 Corinthians 13 in the deck and listen to it eight times on the way to work and see what happens. You can buy the Bible on tape, you know. There are simple strategies here to take to saturate your mind with the precepts of the Lord, which are the rejoicing of your life. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night. And so he becomes like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. And you could add, and when the winds blow and the drought comes, like Jeremiah says, he doesn't blow over. Do you want to be that way? Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Now, how do you do that? There's only one way. You've got to memorize it. This is Sunday school, folks. I'm teaching Sunday school here. Do you regularly memorize the word of God? If you don't, you will lead a second-rate Christian life. I know of no mighty woman or man of God who does not memorize Scripture. None. I don't think there ever has been one. Because if you only get a snatch of it in the morning, even a 20 or 30 or 40 minute snatch of it, and then you leave it and it's gone, this is gone, how will it have an effect? God is not a God of magic. God is a God of word. He's a person. He affects you not with wand-waving magic. Joy. At 11 o'clock when the crisis is at work or the baby's crying and... The soup is overflowing and you stand up and bump your head on the cabinet and you sit on the floor and cry. He doesn't wave a wand over you right there. He brings to your mind promises. Many are the afflictions of a mom. And the Lord delivers her out of all of them. And if, if the mom doesn't remember that word, if it's not stocked away in her brain somewhere so that the Holy Spirit can call it up, she's just going to stay on the floor and cry. God is not a God of magic. He is a person who has revealed his word. He means for his word to be known and meditated on and appropriated by promises moment by moment by moment through the day. So I plead with you, memorize the scripture. And I know there's a lot of older people in this room who are saying in your mind right now, it used to be easier than it is now. I'm 53. I know it used to be easier than it is now. I work... Ten times as hard to memorize today as I did when I was 20. But I work like crazy at it. I really work at it. For one simple reason. I am a Christian hedonist through and through, and I can't survive without it. I'm a pastor. My people come to put their torch in my fire every Sunday. If my fire goes out, I'm a dead man, and my congregation will soon die. I don't have the luxury of not memorizing scripture. I must have the kindling in my heart moment by moment by moment, both for ministry purposes and for my own soul. And if you say, oh, I just can't, it's too hard, I'll give you a little wager here. Or I'll just ask you a very indicting question. If I were to pull out of my wallet here, a thousand dollar bill. I don't know if you have thousand dollar bills in Canada, but an American thousand dollar bill. 
What is that? $2,000? An American $1,000 bill. And, and I said, no. Come back to me in 24 hours. And I will give you $1,000 for every verse you have memorized that you didn't know before. Uh, how many do you think you'd memorize? Well, let me tell you something. The payoff spiritually is a lot more than $1,000 a verse. You know the reason you don't memorize? You don't believe that. You don't. You don't believe that. You don't believe that the payoff is high enough to be worth the effort. Which shows how little confidence you have in the Bible. And how little you believe words like the precepts of the Lord rejoice the heart. So that's a great indictment to us. And you need to right now repent and set your face for 1999, the rest of it, to do some memorizing. We have a program at our church called the Fighter Verses. You can get on our website, desiringgod.org, and read all about this program. We ship it out all over the country. It's, it's little ring books. It's for children and adults. And uh, there's a verse for every week of the year in nice little burgundy folders. You can get them in cards. And we've chosen the verses according to our sense of priorities. And the priority I put on this is every Sunday morning, before the service starts, I stand right here. There's about eight or 900 people sitting there in both services. And, uh, and I say, okay, the fighter verse today is uh, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Let's see if somebody over here will stand up and recite it for us. Up there, up there, a little five-year-old child will stand up. Over here, a 70-year-old woman will stand up. And we begin every service with the recitation of our verse. That's how, that's how important Bible memory is for us because frankly, there's no way, men, you're going to defeat sex on the internet without the Bible. No way. We had guys dropping like flies to this thing. It is deadly. And I just exhort you men. I don't know how it is with the women. I'm not a woman and I don't know what kind of appeal there might be there. I suppose there are some who wrestle with that, but for men to have immediate one-click access to the most varied kinds of sexual stuff is an unbelievable temptation. Teenagers are just getting killed by this thing right and left. Every house is going to have a computer in 10 years. Half the households have them now. Most households will have two and two phone lines within a few years just because we have to have access to that Internet. And I believe in it. I have one. My boys have access to it. We make covenants with one another. But it's the Bible that's going to win this thing. If you memorize scripture and you memorize, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You develop a love for God and seeing God, and you know that as soon as you hit that blue click here, you will be so contaminated and so defiled that your seeing of God will be wiped out for days or weeks or maybe eternity. You'll fight differently. You will fight differently. Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. I've got, see, all these pages I could do on that. I'm going to skip over and go to number five. Pray earnestly. And without ceasing for joy. And all that leads to joy. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Here are, I have lots of notes here. Let me just, here's what's most immediately on my front burner. I said this to some of the guys I had lunch with the other day. Right now in my life, the prayers that are uppermost in my fight for joy, are three or four. They go like this. I'll see if I can remember them all because I've memorized them because I, I want to pray Scripture. Number one, 
Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. Is your heart disinclined to read the Bible? Mine is many times. Isn't that awful? I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. And there are many times a new computer program is just, I want to, I want to see how this thing works. And the Bible just kind of low down on the totem pole. Get up in the morning and you just want to get to the newspaper. Want to get to work. Even good work. Bible work. But not meditate on the scriptures. So what do you do when you have that frame of mind? You cry out, oh God, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. Do you believe God has the right to incline your heart? This is back to some theological issues here. Theology is important in prayer, big time. Does God have the right to take your tick-tock heart, the metrodome heart that goes... Tick, world, talk, God, tick, world, talk, God, and go, God, stay. Does God have a right to do that? I'll tell you, if he doesn't, I'm going to hell. Because my metronome is all weighted toward world if he leaves me. I cry to him, oh God, oh God, incline my heart. If you leave me to myself this morning, if you don't create a desire, if you don't put the want to in me, where will I be? That's the first prayer. Second prayer is Psalm 119.18. Once you get over the Bible, and you put your elbow on either side of it, I have a little place that I built in my study with a prayer bench, and everything is built to seclude me back in this little corner where I get with my Bible and get out on my knees and I get an elbow on either side of my Bible and I built this little wooden so that it's perfect height for my elbows and perfect distance for my eyes with my trifocals. And I have my Bible there. My next prayer is, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Because if he doesn't answer that, you know what I see? Black marks on a page. Interesting historical facts. Doctrinal connections. Nothing to move me. No wonder. No magnificence. No glory. No joy. That's a work of God. Therefore, we got to ask for it. Oh, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes. It's what Paul prayed for in Ephesians 1.18. That I might behold wonders, wonders, not just doctrinal connections, not just historical, but wonders. This is what the psalmist saw over and over again. And he pled for God to open his eyes to see it. That's number two. And number three is Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad in you all my days. If you don't have satisfaction, ask for it. <laughs> ask for it. And don't let him go like Jacob until he gives it to you. Break your hip to get it. Wrestle for it. Don't assume that you can't have it. The Bible teaches us to ask for it. Satisfy my heart with your steadfast love in the morning that I may rejoice and be glad in you all my days. Pray that way. So that's my fifth suggestion. Pray. Number six, learn to preach to yourself. And here I'll send you to Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, page 20. And I didn't bring the quote with me, but he simply says, it's an exposition, especially of Psalm 42.5, which goes like this. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Now, who are you talking to? Who was I talking to? You didn't hear it. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Who am I talking to? 
I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to my soul. I'm preaching to the mirror. If you don't learn how to preach to yourself, you lose one of the great means of grace that are given to you in the Bible. Preach to yourself. You know what? I'll get myself in trouble. I probably shouldn't say this. I know in this group I won't get myself in too much trouble, but I don't want to make any enemies. I believe men should be pastors, not women. Okay, no, 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 no. The point is this. I believe in women preachers to themselves. And men preachers to themselves. And some women are the best preachers to themselves. I know Sally Michael is one of the best. She's on our staff as assistant, a minister with her husband to parents and children. And Sally is one mighty woman of God. She is ahead of almost all of us guys in power in the Bible. She knows more Bible than all of us put together, probably. She's written the children's curriculum that you can look at on the website where the centrality of God is built into children's lives. Sally has a verse for absolutely every occasion. And it is stunningly prophetic when she says it. And Sally knows how to preach to herself and to her girls and to us in her prayers. And I just encourage women and men, be mighty preachers to yourself. Soul, why are you downcast? Soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Because, and then you give some biblical reasons to your soul and press them home on your soul. Don't just languish and say, oh, what am I going to do? I feel so bad. Preach! Preach! Of course, if you're going to preach, you got to have some Bible in your head. Number seven. Get in some kind of fellowship. Small group, one-on-one, one-on-three, and exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief leading you to fall away from the living God. Hebrews 3.13. Do you hear that text? Exhort one another Every day, as long as it is called today, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief. How do you maintain faith and joy? Exhort one another. If you isolate yourself from other believers, don't go belly aching to God that your joy is languishing or that your faith is weak. God has told us things that we can do to keep it strong. And one of them is getting some kind of relationship. For me, by and large, it's our staff. They are in my face with the word of God. I fill out accountability reports every Monday about what I've done with my eyes in relation to women and what I've done with my money and what I've done with my devotional life and so on. We are in each other's face. Nobody coasts at Bethlehem Baptist Church. We exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Lest there creep into John Piper's heart an evil heart of unbelief leading me to fall away from the living God. That's Hebrews 3.13. And that's suggestion number seven and I'm out of time. So, I'm going to just list the last twelve. I mean the last, whatever, four, three. Here's, here they are. Number eight. Be patient in the dark night, because it will come when the joy vanishes. Be patient, like Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the, for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the desolate pit, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock. He made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now, that's a beautiful sequence. From the pit to successful evangelism. But be patient, because how long he was left in the mire, we're not told. Number nine, get the rest and exercise your body needs. <laughs> That's the second question I ask when people come into my office discouraged. I say, how much sleep are you getting? Oh, I don't sleep well. Well, how much? Oh, five hours, six hours. Won't work. Why is that? Oh, I don't get to bed. You gotta change that. You gotta get exercise and you gotta get sleep or you're gonna get discouraged. We are whole people. Our minds often take their cues from our bodies. If you never get any exercise 
and you don't get enough sleep, you're going to get discouraged and sad and gloomy. And you're going to think it's a spiritual problem, which it is because you don't have the obedience to get to bed on time. You don't have the humility to let God work for you, and you stay up too late to work for yourself, and you don't trust him to get it done. Why? Read Psalm 127. Next next point. Ten, quick, quick, quick. Make a proper use of the revelation of God in nature. Now, you're from British Columbia. or Yes, I guess you all are. You shouldn't have too hard a time at this. The heavens are telling the what of God is seeing the glory of God that will change us. So don't walk outside and murmur about the nick on your car door. Be thankful you got a car and eyes and fingers that can feel the nick. Fingers, no leprosy. Be thankful and look up and say, what a glory. What a God, even when it's cloudy. Trees are budding and that's all God. Number 11, read great books about God. I'll talk an hour about that. Find your Jonathan Edwards and whoever it is for you that is distilled Bible. And finally, number 12, read great Christian biography. Just because this issue of one another life, exhort one another every day and be models for each other, that's rooted in Hebrews 13.7. Imitate your leaders, it says in Hebrews 13.7. Follow them. Well, don't be a chronological snob and think that the only leader you ever have is your pastor or some uh, Charles Swindoll and who your famous preachers are in Canada. But whoever your radio preachers are here, don't, don't think those are the only ones that have anything to contribute to your life. It's dead people that have the most to contribute to your life because there's more of them. <laughs> and because they lived in generations that weren't as dense with man-centeredness as our generation is. And so find your great old pastors from the Puritans or from Luther or from Calvin or from Augustine or from Anselm or Aquinas or Whitfield or Spurgeon or Wesley. Yes, I will even mention Wesley because he has great things to say. So find your heroes and Live in their lives in Christian biography, and you will find your heart set on fire again and again. Well, that's 12 of many things. And I'd like to pray now, as we close, that God would take these and do them. So, Lord, come now. I know that to say them is one thing. And to have the inclination to do them. And not to do them legalistically, but as justified sinners is another thing. Would you draw near now, Lord, and bless the remainder of this conference, I pray. And as pastors and lay people go back to their churches, I pray that their joy would be full, that it would abound in worship, that it would abound in love, and that you would maintain it through a biblical strategy of warfare that is a glorious good fight, as Paul called it. Fight the good fight of faith, not the bad fight of legalism. Lord, into your hands I commit this fellowship. Would you revive the churches? Would you empower the mission? And would you make a tremendous impact upon this province through their lives? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.